This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Ben Hornwell, it is great to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us today. Peter, thanks very much for having me back. Always great. You haven't said anything really bad yet, so it's always good. So someone said to me, oh, so-and-so guest you've had on is really controversial. And I said, well, you don't need to persuade me to have them on again. So it's always easy, but always good to have you on, Ben. Obviously, at Hornwell on Getter is the best place to find you. And obviously, regularly on uh, War Room, nearly daily, actually, probably on many of the stories uh, that you bring to the War Room posse uh just double checking that we are uh on don't see us yet but we'll jump in and we will let the technology catch up in a moment let's go uh, the first story is just in-house let me touch on uh and then we will move off and it is this it is our event uh, having a mayor today on actually expanding images and i don't know what it is i don't know if it's a program that i've downloaded but anyway this is our event with andrew bridgen mp and carl benjamin also carl benjamin lotus eaters uh probably the most popular daily podcast in the uk andrew bridgen the one mp standing up against vaccine injury who he will actually be uh, introducing a proposal for a three-hour debate on vaccine injuries that afternoon 4.15, he hands that in into Parliament. He will then be joining us that evening. So come and join us. Use Hearts of Oak 15 with a capital H and a capital O 15 for 15% off. Uh, great to see you all in person if you're in London. Uh, it is Central London, W11 postcode, and you'll get the address on the evening before. Uh, it's going to be a, a fun great evening of catching up with people in person and hearing the one person in parliament who's standing up and one of the main media voices we have in the uk so that is it get your tickets for that and be part of it now let's move on to actually the the second story which is one that we well I personally have been involved in for uh, three years now, and this is the grooming gang issue. And we have talked a lot about this. Um, let's bring this up. GB News had the exclusive. I think on Wednesday they covered it. And Rotherham abuse survivor set to sell rapist home in 450 thousand pound court win which is just over half a million dollars um she was awarded a charging order this is liz uh, on her rapist's rotherham home and that then means that we now have the ability to sell that house which is one of his major assets and she will take so that's the first step in getting money from him it's gone up to 450 from 425 because a judge put interest on the outstanding amount that he must pay. Um, and this has never been done before. Obviously, his house is not worth 450000 It is the Midlands, the middle of England, Rotherham. Uh, we will get a lot less, but it is a chunk of that, and we will continue fighting to make sure if whenever we find the other assets he has, we will take them 
often. Um, but Ben, what are your? I mean, th- this should be something that's automatic, really, from the the legal system, shouldn't it be? If if someone is charged with raping a child, they go away for a couple of years. There's no financial justice linked to that, and um, it should be part and parcel of it, really. Oh, Peter, I have uh, so many things to say on this story, uh, and I don't quite know how to start or where to start. <laughs> Firstly, however, um, you actually answered my the big question mark that I had at the, at the beginning when I was studying up on, on this particular case, um, which was that you know, £450,000, I, I thought when I when I read, for example, this, this GB News article, uh, £450,000 per house in Rotherham's pretty good valued property. Um, so you, you actually uh, responded to, to to that one in your intro. Um, second point, and I'll get to my third point, right? But my second point is generally, I am against uh, this. In this case, the, the guy and the, the rapist, Asker Boston, did admit uh, he did admit his, his foul deeds. Um, so, so, so my normal proviso here is that I am generally against women suing men many years after the after the the the, the, the events um, and causing lots of damage because it's particularly you know uh, and it's often basically sort of right-wing figureheads as well sort of uh, commentators who are being particular anti-establishment perhaps I should say rather than right-wing um, and it seems to me to be um, very dangerous territory uh, to be able to put a, a guy in that situation where he's presumed guilty effectively um, and it is impo- not only is he presumed guilty, but it's literally impossible for him to prove his innocence. Um, that doesn't quite apply, or it doesn't at all apply to this, but I do have to say that, because I will say it every time I get the opportunity to say it, um, it it's a very dangerous part of society. That's not quite this situation, though, Peter. Um, my third point on this story is, right, and it's an excellent precedent, Peter, here's my point, that I, you know, why stop with the rapist? Right? Wouldn't it be great, don't you think, if the people responsible for protecting the integrity of our borders could also be sued and have their houses uh, forfeited as well? Because you know what would happen within, I think, 24 hours? They would start policing our borders properly, right? And I, I don't know whether, I don't know much about the background of this guy. I don't know if he was born in the UK or if he came in afterwards, uh, legally or illegally. In the in the case where these things do happen, um, and the rapist uh, has entered the country either legally or illegally, in the case that the rapist enters legally, the Home Office official who signs the visa should be personally responsible, yeah. right? Criminally criminally responsible for any deeds, uh, any foul deeds committed by the person that they led into the country. And you know what would happen within 24 hours on that score, right? There'd be a lot more due diligence um, on who's coming in. And if they came in illegally, right, um, then again, it's the people who are responsible for policing and protecting the integrity of our borders. These people need to be personally held responsible in court. And you know what, Peter? We would see some pretty quick action, right? Positive action, very, you know, very rapidly. Um, you know, I'm daydreaming, perhaps. Uh, but no, I'm good. Look, Ben, I agree completely that my anger is against the officials that let these things happen and less against those who carry out the heinous acts because we allow it to happen here in the UK, across Europe, these crimes, because the institutions turn a blind eye. And you're right, not one 
person in child services in the media, politicians, local council, uh, police. None of those are actually prosecuted as the individual. It has to be both the individual that carried it out and the system that allows it to happen. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, let's go on to uh, we're, we're, we'll do Europe in the first half and then we'll go stateside in the second half for the Warren Posse who have joined us. So uh, great to have you with us on Rumble and Getter on the War Room. And this is the, the weird situation of Denmark passing a law to ban Quran burnings. And this on the BBC uh, covered all over. Denmark's parliament has banned the inappropriate treatment of religious texts with the bill widely known in the country as the Quran law. Offenders now face a fine of up to two years in jail after 94-77 vote. Um, I, two years in jail for burning a, a, a fairy tale book. I, I'm quite... Uh, I don't know whether it'll be any book that's that's written. Obviously, this is in regards to the Quran. Um, I can't imagine there being much outroar about burning any other religious books, including the Bible. Uh, what I mean, it seems though, Europe is heading back again to blasphemy laws. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Ben? Um, well, the first thing I mean, I, I actually published about this on, on Getter. Um, you, we covered on the war room, I think it was last year, you know, look, Scandinavia is probably, you know, all told, I don't know if, if it's challenged by the Netherlands, perhaps, um, but it'd be definitely in the running for the most liberal region, the most progressive region in the whole of the European Union, right? Um, and it's absolutely amazing uh, how progressives uh, show utter cowardice in the face of violence from the Islamic quarter, or even the threat of violence from the Islamic quarter, they cannot um, bow down and appease that violence fast enough. Only from that violence, only from that sector of the the, the population. Obviously, um, they wouldn't. They would. They they wouldn't be so hesitant um, uh, um, in backing down if the threat of violence was coming from the, quote marks from the right. Um, so what we did, what we, we, we mentioned uh, a year ago on the war room, stays always in, let's stay with, with Scandinavia, different country, like Sweden. Um, there was an artist there who did a blasphemous art exhibition called LGBT Jesus. I don't know if you remember it. It yep. was so, it was so outrageous. It was so disgusting. Naturally, the European Parliament tripped over itself in order to host the exhibition, right? Right. <laughs> And um, so, so this is Scandinavia. This is modern, liberal, progressive Scandinavia. It's LGBT art exhibitions, right? But we'll prohibit, no, but we'll, because it, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to the true faith, right? No, we're, we're secularists. Why should we come in and protect the, 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 uh, the, um, the sensibilities of religious believers? When it comes to, to, to Islam, of course, it's a totally different story. And let's change the secular law of the land to prohibit uh, the a blasphemy of a of, of a of a religion that isn't even native to that to that area. Wasn't perhaps I should correct myself and use the past tense, but it's absolutely clear from just these two illustrations that um, Europe isn't even a post-Christian 
society culture anymore it is it is a pre-islamic one that's that's the reality of that and that's why you see the, the craven cowardice uh in denmark uh with with regard to the islamo appeasement um i i would like to just you just referring here to the bbc article let me just quote this directly it says uh, denmark's intelligence service warned that such incidents that say the burning of the quran had increased the terrorist threat well, what does that the terrorist threat right what, what what are they admitting to there but what are they admitting to when they're not admitting to something they're admitting to to, to the reality of the situation that if you offend islam you will have you will you will have violence uh, uh, indiscriminately applied across civil society. That is the reality. Now, a genuine intelligence service worthy of the name, and a genuine government that had intelligence uh, in order in order to act on that would realise. Well, hang on. If that is true, this ought to be considered. The presence of this religion ought to be considered. At least, let's have a national conversation about it considered um an issue of national security that conversation is obviously not going to happen in scandinavia and the passing um uh the future decades rolling ahead will uh illustrate quite well i think the, the results of the absence of that conversation um but as i say look the the left is tripping over itself to appease islam and the reason is just to, if i can perhaps it'll be my only foray in, 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 in into into a, into um in, into a christian insight into the um, in, in this particular show right the reason is once you but right, firstly nature abhors a vacuum right man is made to respond to the call of the divine okay you if you eliminate christianity from your society because in the whole history in the whole anthrop the study of anthropology only the the, the the particular contemporary age has ever believed it could live without God. Every other society in human history has always had a, a religious basis to it of one form or another. And what we are seeing now is the transition from one set of religious uh, observance to another set of religious observance. And the point I'm going to make when I say this is a religious point is that if you take if you look at the world and society and politics and history from a Christian perspective, then it's absolutely, absolutely clear that whereas there are huge issues of of, uh, of tension and opposition between the woke left and Islam, for example, women's rights, gay rights, for example, um, the thing that actually makes what would otherwise be a zigzag, a perfectly straight line, is their absolute opposition towards Jesus Christ and his kingdom. That is unyielding. And that's what binds these things together. And it will continue, Peter, moving forward, binding together. We are going to see, we're starting to see it right now uh, with regards to, to Israel, um, of which I have further things to add uh, later on in, in, in the show. Uh, but we are going to see, moving ahead, a, a, a greater joining together of the far left with Islam. As absurd as that seems right now, because they have a, a binding... Um, elements, which is their opposition to Christianity. No, it could be it's that red green axis axis that actually is um, should worry any law abiding free speech advocate, any so called conservative or Christian in Europe. So hundred percent. Let's stay within Europe and right to the 
Edge. And this is uh, one, I hadn't actually seen this until I saw your uh, your piece with uh, with Steve on War Room on this. Is Zelensky turning Ukraine into authoritarian state, just like Russia, says Kiev Mayor in shocking interview. This is the, the New York Post. Um, and this is Klitschko, uh, former heavyweight boxing champion, of course, which that's what he was known as, turned politician, took the unprecedented step of publicly attacking Zelensky. And then the New York Post says, an ex-comedian and actor. <laughs> I love it the way they threw that in. Uh, it, I mean, we've seen this happen going on for, what, are we 18 months into the war? Something like that? I lose track of time. But and the tide is to be turning. We'll touch on uh, more of this in a little bit about the, the front line. Um, and it seems that people are getting angry at what is happening in the country. And it's interesting when uh, when a high-profile figure like Klitschko actually turns on Zelensky. But yeah, w- what were your thoughts whenever you did this piece on Warren the other day? Do you actually know this guy? Do you remember this guy from boxing? I, I, I remember. Him and his brother, wasn't it? I have no idea. I, 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 I remember him. I remember in the boxing days. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So he he, 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 he has a... a bit, right. Okay. So look, um, this, this isn't just basically a war room talking point. Okay. What I'm going to say now. We've been on this, uh, and I'm glad to see that the, the, the elements of the mainstream media are starting to contribute to this. But the whole farce behind the Western involvement in Ukraine was that we're supposed to be defending democracy, right? Ukraine good, Russia bad. You know, you know, you, you know, you know how sophisticated the mainstream media is, and uh, you know, how it really goes beneath the surface views. It's, it's Ukraine good, Russia bad, and that's all we needed to know. And that Putin was this sort of evil dictator, and uh, and Zelensky is made in the European image, um, promoting European values. Um, and we've been digging down on this, right, for the last two years on the war, because it's it's just not true. I'd say that the 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 the, the reality is that they're both thuggish regimes. Um, sadly, they're both thuggish regimes. I would argue, and I'm, I'm not drawing a moral equivalence when I say that. I just don't see that we we have a dog in this particular fight, really. Um, they're both thuggish regimes. If I were, if I were, um, if I were constrained to pick one of the two sides, I can't help but notice that Vladimir Putin does seem to be a genuine, sincere defender of the, of of the Christian basis of Europe and the West, whereas our old friend Vladimir Zelensky is antithesis of that, and is far more that the World Economic Forum type uh, plate. So if it were if it were only a decision based on those two things holding all the things equal, you know, I do have a certain sympathy for this idea of um, of, of Moscow being the, um, uh, the, the the new Rome, the third Rome, you know, sort of Rome, Constantinople, Moscow. Um, there were, you know, I, I, I do understand where the Russians are coming from on that, right? Um, so what has happened now is that Zelensky has, um, you know, we, we've been mentioning this for some time, he, he cancelled the parliamentary 
elections that were set, for, I think it was for October, it was certainly for this autumn. And he's also cancelled the presidential elections set for next spring. Um, and apparently the constitution, the Ukrainian constitution, um, forbids um, elections when during a state of emergency. Ironically, because I thought the whole point about a state of emergency is, is the suspension of, 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 of the norms of the constitution. That's normally the case. There's somewhat... Uh, uh, there's a certain irony in that. Um, but drilling down on this, there are uh, deep political divisions about how the war is being conducted within Ukraine. With, you know, and this is what's only starting to emerge now in the, in the Western media. Now, um, the, 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 just to make the point for, 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 the, for the American audience that's following this this evening, um, because most people, when they hear the term commander-in-chief, will presume, immediately think of, of the president, the head of state. That, that's the case in America. In Ukraine, that's not the case. The head of state and the commander-in-chief, the head of the military, are, are two separate roles by two separate people. And their their um, their uh, CNC is, is General Valery Zaluzny. Okay, now this guy is currently running on a 98 approval rating. Okay. Um, and I have another fact here, right? And this is, um, that was, that was, that was from Semaphore. The, the FT points out that, uh, right, in, this is a poll by a, a, a Kiev, um, pollster called, um, the rate, Kiev's, uh, rating group, it's called. And this poll last month in November said that 42% of voters would choose Zelensky in the, if elections were to be held, and 40% would vote for General Zaluzny. Right, that's a difference of 2%. Peter, that's the mind, you know what we call that? You know, when we, you know what pollsters call that, and cephalogists call that? They call that the margin of error, right? <laughs> they call that the margin. And given that there is no tolerance for political dissidents in Ukraine right now in the middle of the war, I would, you know, that, that's based on what people are openly telling pollsters. I would not be remotely surprised. No, I actually believe the case that 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 that, 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 that the, the, the figures of, of those wanting to vote them would be even higher than Zelensky's. A similar poll says uh, that eighty-two percent of the respondents said they trusted Zelensky, compared only with seventy-two percent, as ten percent less for Zelensky. But that is the political context, right? In, in Ukraine, in which Zelensky says, no, no, we're not going to have presidential elections next year. It's because he thinks he, he will lose. That's the reality. So what happens is, is that the, um, the mayor of, of Kiev, uh, 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 our former boxing champion, has come out and gave, gave this interview uh, to the Spiegel, if, I, if, I, if, I'm not, yeah. if I'm not wrong. And he said that, that Ukraine under Zelensky's leadership is sliding into authoritarianism and that's absolutely true uh, you know and whilst we've been hinting and intimating at this reality on the war for the last two years it's not political figures in ukraine are starting to say this i'll close with this point peter the reason why i think they're starting to say this now and why the western media is starting to pick up on it by the way is that it's absolutely clear that um, that that that, uh, that america is going to be if it if it doesn't succeed in doing it in the present round it will be within months that the, the purse strings are being cut with ukraine and the financial support will cease now peter the whole 
Ukraine doesn't really have a government in the, in the contemporary sense of the world. It's a band of oligarchs. It's a band of 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 grafting oligarchs. Zelensky was great for that regime when he was bringing home the bacon, bringing home the dollars, right? When he could basically waltz in via video link to any parliament, give them all a bitch slap, and then piss off, and and they, and then they'd pay him money, right? They'd pay, they'd pay them, they'd pay him bills. When when he was doing that, the regime he was fine with the regime. Now that the money is stopping, this band of 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 alligators that we call the government of Ukraine is making the very quick and very um, unsentimental decision that it doesn't need Zelensky anymore. Look, as I said on Getter the other day, you don't need a particularly long CV. If your principal responsibility is to lose a war, anyone can do that, right? Literally anyone, e e even a former comedian, um, anyone can do that. It, it, and whoever is the head of state can then, you know, I, I often call um, President Zelensky President Tenpercentsky, um, in honour to his well, uh, well, uh, well noted, his well noted, no, no, his well noted cuts. Uh, of taking ten percent, um, so look, anyone, anyone in Ukraine can be Mister Ten Percent. You don't need Zelensky. And seeing as that they are increasingly tired with his grandstanding and his theatrics, um, they're probably making the calculation that someone else might be able to bring in the money with more credibility. Perhaps General Zeluzny. Um And that's the wider context between what we're seeing, I think, in, in the press right now, Peter. And this just a follow-on part of it, uh, and I think you'd also touched on this uh, on one of your war pieces. Ukraine war soldier tells BBC a frontline hell. Outnumbered and outgunned, one frontline soldier has given a sobering account of Ukraine's struggle to cling on to its foothold on the east bank of the vast Dnipro River. Um, and that Again, there's a change of narrative uh, the BBC are now telling us, it seems as though the public are being prepared, made ready for actually uh, Ukraine are not going to win, which the media was full of, all these counteroffensives that have failed, all the money that was poured in hasn't gone anywhere, well, has gone into the 10% uh, bank account. But it's um, where the media, the public are being kind of readied for the next story, which is actually... Ukraine has failed it. And this is a headline I you would never have seen over the last year, and suddenly it's dripping out. That's right, Peter. Look, there's just one line in this article that I want to bring um, bring out, okay? It's basically got paragraph after paragraph of first-hand witness testimony from a guy um, on the front line, from a soldier on, on the front line who's been communicating with the BBC via an unspecified messaging app, presumably Signal or, or something like that, right? Telegram. There's a one line in this that I just want to pick up on um, before we move on. Um, and he says this, many believe that the command simply abandoned us. The guys believe that our presence had more political than military significance. Now, that is an astonishing revelation. I, I, I think um, you know, it's, it's entirely to be to be expected. But the fact that it's now making itself in the BBC that these guys are being sent to a front line where they know they cannot win, where it has no military significance, but has all the political significance, which is exactly what the counteroffensive was about. These are people's lives 
our sociopathic overlords are playing with. Um, and that was a very sort of powerful line in that BBC uh, piece, I think, Peter. Oh, it was. Let's move off. Let's touch on immigration in Ireland uh, before flipping over um, and heading over to stateside on our news. And it is this in the Financial Times. Ireland says it is run out of room for refugees. Asylum seekers face having to sleep rough on Irish streets after the government in Dublin said it had run out of accommodation for them. A situation humanitarian groups say puts them at risk of anti-immigrant violence. Uh, that's a, a strange end to that, that paragraph, but... Um, and the government had already cautious, unlimited compassion for Ukrainian refugees was not matched by its capacity to house them. You can't ask people in to your country, and Ireland has always been an extremely welcoming country, if you can't actually look after them. Uh, and again, Ar uh, Ireland, along with Europe, is realising that if you have unlimited immigration, you'd have unlimited resources, and that is simply not available. Yeah, and... Um Ireland's currently being run into the ground. It has a population of about 5 million, 1 million of whom weren't born there, which is astonishing. 20% of the country. That's astonishing. Now, um, it's already trying to accommodate 100,000 people um, as the FT, which isn't normally a, a go-to source, I think, for um, the alternative right. Um, but they, have, they, they do seem to have the lowdown on, on this right now. Has has uh, trying to accommodate one hundred thousand people, three quarters of whom are refugees from Ukraine. Um, and then further on, it makes the point. Uh, it draws the straight line um, between the, the the current immigration crisis, vis-a-vis -vis specifically Ukrainians, um, and what what it calls the rise of the far right, um, which 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 is which is interesting. Um, and as far as the, you know, it gives me an opportunity to get one point in when it comes to the immigration debate. I have said for years that I'm opposed to countries in the West, the UK, my own country, um, Italy, where I happen to live now, but any country in the EU. I am opposed on principle to the mass importation of millions of people from the third world with values and belief systems wholly hostile to, to, to the values, uh, to our own values, right? I am absolutely against that. When I said that in the past, people have said, because significantly, you know, we're talking about, and especially moving into the future, huge numbers of, of sub-Saharan Africans coming into Europe uh, that, that, that we will not be able to, um, to deal with, that, that would wipe out any pretense of um, the, the social, the collapse of the social order would be so great, it would bring down the, the what, what remains of, of, of democratic government. If the numbers uh, come across that say they want to come across from sub-Saharan Africa, when I said I'm opposed to this, people say, "Hanwell, oh, you're just racist." You really, Hanwell, you're just racist. You um, you wouldn't be saying that if they if they had blonde hair or blue eyes, right? And what can I say to that? I can say it's not true. Um, but because we weren't being inundated with blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Um, people, it was difficult for me to prove my point. And yet, Peter, no one would have expected this. But that is exactly the case now. We are, we are. If I might coin a phrase, we are now currently um, suffering um, or, uh, or witnessing um, a flooding of, of of European countries with what I can call 
an Aryan invasion, right, from Ukraine. Blonde hair, blue eyes. And I'm just as opposed to that, Peter, yeah. as I am to sub-Saharan Africans. It is not a question to do with race. What's it a question of? It's a question of money, taxes. The, the, the starting point of my entire political philosophy starts with my absolute hatred and loathing of paying taxes. I hate it. Why? Because as, as Ronald Reagan said, I know how government wastes my money, yeah. right? That is the motivating principle of every single political uh, view I have. I hate paying tax because I might, you know, when I'm, you know, I was, I was on Amazon earlier, wanted to buy myself a new pair of gloves. I, I look at the price, you know, I look, I look at this, to see if I can save myself a few pennies there. The amount of my money that the government takes okay. to spend it on promoting, I don't know, LGBT in the military or, you know, all the, all the woke things, um, uh, for, for asylum seekers, all the toys lifting, right? That that that, that 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 aggravates my acid reflux, Peter. Right? I cannot abide the thought of that. And I just wanted to make this point, right? To anyone, to any progressive liberal who's who's listening on the show today, who said to me before, pointed the finger and said before, Arnold, you're just a racist, right? I am just opposed, just as opposed to to, to hosting Ukrainians as I am to hosting. Uh, sub-Saharan Africans, right? Yeah, because I'm, because I'm opposed to paying for it. Hundred percent. It's it's not about color. It's about culture and capacity. And when uh, when the your country spends its time focusing on paying for people thousands of miles away to take trips here, um, that doesn't sit right for those of us who work hard and and pay for it. Um, Ben, let's move on to it's been um. 15 years since you uh, were involved in the Universal Declaration of Human Dignity. Let, let's bring this up here. This was uh, on your Getter account earlier today. Uh, when I worked at the European Parliament, I established a project aimed at assisting Christians in public life defend themselves from the hostile attacks of militant secularists. Um, do you want to touch on this, mention this, because uh, it's something that you've been involved in now for a decade and a half? Yeah, um, it was one of the yeah. I was talking about start of starting point of my political philosophy. Um, one thing that really shaped the way I see because I used to be right in the late nineties, the first few years of the of the new millennium. I was a, a fanatical pro European. Um, I worked I worked for a Tory uh, MEP, Nerd Diva, um, but I was you know there was still in those days a, a pro european remnant of the tory party that claimed legitimately a, a certain um inheritance from from margaret thatcher and i was part of that you know i, I was on the board of the, the conservative group for europe and, and all this i had my little lapel badge with the the the, the, the union jack and the the, the union the, the eu flag um which i wore with pride whenever i went to tory events I was always, always attacked with great hostility. Uh, one of one of the um, no, but I believed in the. I actually believed in the the, the ideals behind European integration, right? And I thought it, I thought it represented the future. What there are two things that really slapped that naivety out of me. It's like being hit across the face with a giant frozen wet haddock. Those two events were. Um, well, I'll, I'll do the second one first, and then I'll go to the first one. The second one was was I um, I said I worked for, for an MEP. I, I after five years, I was actually I I I I, I shifted to Brussels, 
when I went to go work in the European Parliament, I, I realised that the whole thing was was a, was a hoax. The whole European, the idealism behind the, the European enterprise. It's just one long grift in institutional form. Those people in it, you know, that, you know, if they could earn the same amount of money having diametrically opposing political views, there would be a stampede. Yeah. Um, it, it is just grift. It is a, it is a grift that is enabled by the ignorance of taxpayers out in, in the member states. Um, I saw it with my own eyes, um, horrified. Um, so that was what the, the, the second thing that, that really uh, flipped me from hardline pro-European fanatic to hardline Eurosceptic fanatic. Um, the first thing was the, 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 the vetoing of uh, my friend, Rocco Bittiglione, um, who was, not, who was um, nominated by the Italian government. He was a, a mainstream philosopher friend of John Paul II, former Italy, um, Minister for Europe, for, um, for, for Italy, passionate pro-European. Um, he was blocked, he, he, was, he was nominated by Italy to be Vice President of the European Commission. And he was blocked, um, in the words of um, uh, Michael Cashman, the Labour MEP, who, who uh, Colin from EastEnders, by the way, um, uh, who, who ran the, the, the rebellion um, in the European Parliament. Um, Cashman said that what Rocco Petiglione's nomination for the European Commission was unacceptable, not because of anything he's actually said, but because of what, as a Catholic, he might think. That was a winning argument, even though the centre-right, excuse me, the centre-right, that is to say the European People's Party, um, had the numerical majority. Um, that was a, a big shock for me as well. Um, but but I, that had different consequences for me uh, in how I moved forward because I wanted to know how it was that a supposedly centre-right majority, a supposed Christian democratic uh, majority, could have such a, a crippling weakness in the face of this secularist onslaught, uh, on, onslaught by a, a militant left, secularist, atheist minority. And that's because the centre-right had no spine. And fundamentally, they had they the the the, the centre right has has come to believe the imposition of the left that uh, that Christians leave their faith at the door when they legislate. Now that's not a requirement expected of any other group. No one would ever dare say that to a Muslim, by the way. Um, but it's not expected that Freemasons or socialists or feminists should leave their uh, personal, you know, they're, 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 in fact, they're not just personal opinions, personal principles. These are the driving fundamental uh, opinions that actually bring people into politics because they want to pursue those things. But it is expected to Christ, of Christians, and Christians tend to play a game with that. They say, okay, you know, it's unreasonable of me to impose my faith on others. Um, I, I would leave that at the door and, and legislate as a secular entity. Um, so the fight back against that rationale, it took it took some time. It was eventually codified in this document, uh, which you mentioned before, the uh, the Universal Declaration of, of Human Dignity. It's just two pages long. Um, it took about a year for me to write, um, and then we launched it in the open. It was published. We published the text on the eighth of December, the Feast of the Immaculate, uh, in twenty o eight, and it, the text was launched by the then. Speaker of the European Parliament, with I, th I think a dozen, twenty or so members of the European Parliament, just two pages long. Um, it, that that really is that represents to this day um, 
they're the heart of, of my political and religious philosophy. So if you're interested in reading it, follow the link. Uh, it's at the top of my Getter feed on that right now. And let's just let people know again, this is where you find Ben. That is him on Getter and on Twitter. It'll never be X, always be Twitter. So make sure and follow him on both those. And as he said, that article is on the top of his Getter feed. Um, let's move on state size. And uh, this was, again, something I hadn't seen before. And Steve had tweeted it. Um, let me just bring up this is Gavin Newsom. Uh, let me give me a moment and let me bring it up. Let me bring up Steve's tweet. And it's a political.com article. We'll not bring up the actual article. Um, I'll just bring up Steve's tweet. Um or no, his not tweet, his getter. Uh, and it is this. Sorry, it's taking longer to bring up than I thought. There it is. President Newsom <laughs> has a problem. Citizens fleeing his reign of terror caused massive plunge in tax revenue and a 68 billion deficit. Uh, and the the headline on the article is California's budget deficit swells. Uh, to record 68 billion as tax revenue falls. Um, and I know we, I, we've we got uh, Ben Burkham's with us on Monday and he touches on this because he grew up in California, from California, and he talks to us about the 10 cities and he went and filmed it. But it's, it's, it's sad seeing a great state like California collapse into other chaos and people literally trying to flee if it's fleeing the high fuel costs um, or fleeing the high taxes or uh, fleeing the restrictions on your right to bring up your children, the right to be a Christian. Um, but yeah, tell us about this. Is it really, you think that Americans have had enough and are beginning to try to get themselves away from California? Yeah, I mean, it's not just in California, exactly the same symmetrical movement that's taking place uh, in, in New York State as well. Um, I think in New York, people are, are going south to Florida and in uh, California, people are going over to Texas. Um, seems to be the, 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 the trend. Um, when we ought not be surprised, right? No, I am surprised. I am absolutely surprised at the general level of incompetence of Democrat-run states. Um, even as a you know, as a non-American, not living in America, just watching the the, the newspaper, even the the Democrat-friendly mainstream media, you know, you you can't put the lipstick on a pig on this. Democrats uh, are they they surprised to me, right? How uh, incapable they are of of winning these two large states, two large symbolic uber-American states, and it's, it is a, a sign, I think, a symptom of, of their general incapacity. Now, you might ask why, how, and it's because, the, you know, and I, I say this constantly, right, and it applies to Republicans as well, to uniparty Republicans as it does to uniparty Democrats, right, because they're not interested actually in the nitty-gritty of governing. They're interested in virtue signaling, in demonstrating themselves at every opportunity of being morally superior beings. Right. All they're interested in is that is the first order, um, the first order consequence, right, of, of whatever it is they're they're championing. They they never go down and look at the second order, third order, fourth order, fifth order, the knock-on consequences that that occur. occur that they're not interested. All they want to do is appear in front of the television cameras, um, smiling um, with their synthetic smiles, 
with all the flashlights and sh showing themselves to be morally superior. Um, uh, Ukraine, by the way, is a prime example of, of that sociopathy. Um, but as I say, it afflicts both parties. Like, if one can define, if I, if I might coin a phrase, right? Politics is the art of saying no, right? Basically, no, we can't spend money. We don't, no, basically, the reason I say that is because my view of politics is that you have a, a given budget of money coming in and you need to spend that money, right? If you want to spend more, you raise taxes. Um, but that's basically the deal. And therefore, if you have a limited income, you have to say no. Democrats and Republicans to some extent, but not as painfully incompetent as Democrats. Democrats have a pathological inability to say no to pressure groups, to liberal pressure groups. That is to say, so, 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 they, so they say yes, because why? Because they want to appear in front of the television cameras, giving money to some great cause. The problem is, is that if the counts, if 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 your outgoings are larger than your incomings, you're going to have a, a debt, right? And then you're going to need to increase taxes to service that debt. Now, once you start increasing taxes, don't forget the half of Americans don't even pay income tax because they're not right. Um, they don't have the income to to pay because they're basically just living off the welfare state. Um, so you're going to you're going to raise if you're a state, and it's the same for a country. If you, but if you're if you if you're a state, um, and you have a deficit, and you need to start paying that deficit off or the interest on 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 that debt, um, you have to raise taxes. Now, who are you going to raise taxes on? You're going to raise them across the board, so everyone pays more. Or are you going to Peter? Are you going to tax the rich? Right tax the rich now the problem is, is and, and of course if you're a virtue signaling sociopath with the cameras flashing you're gonna say well we're gonna tax the rich and we're gonna make them pay their fair share well the problem is right talk about second order third order fourth order consequences of that they're gonna piss off aren't they they're not gonna say they say yeah you know take all my money and don't you know and just have homeless tent cities inside internal tent cities inside California where my kids can't even walk because they're going to get raped or cut up by drug abusers. Even Democrats aren't going to put up with that nonsense, right? But they will leave. They will leave. And then what happens? If you, if you, don't forget that in, in, in America, I think the, the top 90% of all income tax receipts across the whole of the United States is paid by the... the um, by the top one percent of income earners, right? It's hugely staggered towards the the, the the rich paying their fair share, right? So you have your you have your big wealth earners, yeah. right? That will pay the lion's share of the tax receipts in California. They're going to leave, and then the problem is, if if your major contributors of income for the state leave, what are you going to do? Well, are you going to cut your services or are you going to increase taxes on everyone else? Or are you going to increase borrowing, never-ending borrowing? And just as that won't work and it will lead to bankruptcy, you saw that, that as it, Birmingham in the UK has now declared itself bankrupt. Yeah. It's the same nonsense, right? Just as, the, just as Democrats are incapable of running a state, two, you know, two, two quintessential American states here, um, uh, California and New York, just as they, they're showing themselves unable to run those states, they are unable for exactly the same reason to run the country. Um, that ought to be a warning to everybody of whichever color stripe in the United States. Yeah, 
Right. And I feel that if anyone has voted Democrat in California and they want to move to a free state, they shouldn't be allowed to vote for five years or something <laughs> to stop them spreading their utter stupidity. But that that's a problem on the West Coast. Let's discuss this as a problem uh, now, a different problem on the East Coast. Uh, and that is these beautiful pictures. I'm so glad, Steve, actually. Well, I think they were covered up anyway. Um, but Garland, uh, Department of Justice, offered Hunter Biden a sweetheart deal to avoid triggering an impeachment and criminal charges against Joe Biden. And it's obviously the, the charges against um, against Hunter Biden. Mm-hmm. And the, the conversation is, well, the real issue is the, the sweetheart deal and what lay behind that. And it seems to be, as we've learned, anything that can be done to protect poor Hunter because obviously of the connections, the financial connections that he actually funneled money uh, to Joe Biden uh, with all of the uh, phenomenal deals that he had all across the world. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I don't know whether it's gone far enough to actually wake up America to actually the utter corruption that lies at the heart of the Biden family. Yeah, um, firstly, like I am myself uh, currently undergoing, um, I, uh, I'm a defendant, a defendant in a criminal trial here in Italy, um, which I don't need to go into. The only thing I, will, I the only reason I'm referencing that. Uh, it's because I know from first-hand experience that the press can whip up one side of a story and make it look so compelling, you think, well, they, they, this guy can't be innocent at all. I know because they've literally done it to me. If I didn't know intimately the facts of the case, I'd say, blimey, this Han Law, total fraudster, total guilty. <laughs> because, I, because I actually know the, 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 the other side of the story that it, I, 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 I hope I, I will succeed having that proven in court so that's the first thing i have to say so if i if i started with the first article by saying i don't like i i genuinely generally don't like the the, the idea of women um suing men for for for, for 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 rape or what have you years after the event um on this i i am compelled to say um a guy is innocent until proven guilty that's so important um even if this guy does look, if he's guilty as hell. Um, reading this story, I, I saw something um, uh, in the news you know, yesterday that said that he he spent like $867,000 on, on porn, hookers, and sex parties. It reminded me of, 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 um, of a quote that my dad's had on, on his Skype profile for the last 20 years he he says um i spent most of my money on sex drugs and rock and roll and the rest i just wasted (laughs) (laughs) um look the only thing i have to say on this case right and other people will be able to drill down on, on on the detail far better than i am the sweetheart deal that the doj offered him initially if hunter biden should be convicted by a jury of his peers which is essential right if he should be found guilty of, um by a jury of his peers and go to prison for some of these things that the dog doj tried to protect him from merrick guard that merrick garland should be um impeached and that should be number one on on, on the articles of impeachment right 
Um, that's the only thing I really have to say on that. Let the court, let him have his day in court. Let it, let it, let it, let it work its way through. I think the White House confirmed early on today, Peter, that uh, President Biden wouldn't give a pardon to his son if he's con- convicted. Let these things work their way through, and then we'll draw the conclusions. Well, the the soap opera continues, and and maybe it will all come out uh, that follow the money, and will. Uh, not just to the hookers, but also to uh, to uh, his uh, father above him. But we'll we'll watch that anyway. Let two more two more stories to go. This on immigration, uh, and this is Axios, a, a scoop exclusive. Um, and this is the exclusive. Top border officials say releases attract more. Migrants. Uh, and my thought when I first read that was no shit, Sherlock. But Border Patrol officials have acknowledged to Congress that the release of migrants into nearby communities is an incentive for others to attempt illegal border crossings, according to transcripts. Um, the only surprising thing is that this actually is news and not just a, a Babylon Bee article. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit weird, Peter. I don't quite get it. Um, the, and you know, it gives it's a perfect opportunity for me to say what I said right at the beginning of today's show. People who are responsible for policing our borders, and whether it's the UK or the United States, it's the same principle. Here. If someone is suffers a crime as a consequence of the lack of fulfilment of that obligation, the people responsible for that should be able should be liable. Um, both in the civil and in the criminal courts, they should be personally responsible and they should be sued. Um, and if that were to happen, the, the situation would resolve itself within 24 hours. It's just in it, I think it is as, is as simple as that because the means are there. It, what, what is not there is not, not, not say that there's, it's wrong to say that there's no political will. The political will is that there is an invasion. Right, that that is the reality. It's not that there's there's no you know that, that there's not the political will to stop it. The political will is driving this thing forward in the face of the American public, um, and people need to be held responsible for that. They need to be held civilly and or criminally responsible for for, for that negligence. Yep, hundred uh, percent. Well, let's move on and do our uh, final story, which is. Uh, we did on what's been happening in Ukraine. Uh, and let's finish off with what is happening over in the Middle East. Uh, and this is this vote at the UN uh, that the US abstained and the UK vote against or is vice versa. But Israel, Hamas war, US vetoes UN resolution calling for ceasefire in Gaza as UK explains why it abstained. This is Sky News. The US indicated it would veto the motion, arguing a ceasefire could leave Hamas in charge of the territory while still holding more than 100 refugees. Um, it's Obviously, this is still going on. The, the media have been a little bit quieter because I guess they get a little bit bored and uh, and follow the next shiny object. But this is still happening with 100 hostages still held. And I'm intrigued that the world is much louder on calls for a ceasefire to protect those within Gaza and less vocal on the hostages being held and they should be released immediately. But what were your thoughts on this UN resolution vote, Ben? Uh, well, Peter, the, uh, 
I'm going to say there's no way that I'm going to please everybody <laughs> what I'm going to say now, right? Some people are going to be upset with me. Some people will, will be cheering me on. There's the, I, I'm in a no-win situation. That's fine. Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, I am not a Zionist. I'm not. Um, I uh, I don't think. Well, for, for, put that aside. I mean, I'm not, I, for for religious reasons, right? Um, and I and I and I find it strange that, that believing Christians would allow themselves to be uh, evangelicals would allow themselves to be co-opted into that. Um, and America's underwriting of Israel over the last what seventy years has done a heck of a lot to damage America's reputation um, in the Middle East and, and around the rest of the world. Okay. I, looking at Israel, I, I see very little difference between Israel and Ukraine, apart from the fact that Israel's been doing what Ukraine's doing now for a lot longer. Um, I don't think America should be underwriting Israel's security and if it didn't Israel I think firstly I think a lot of the hatred and fear of Israel is really a hatred and fear of the United States um, which is then in, sort of superimposed on Israel by proxy but Israel I think would then would, 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 would behave itself a lot in a lot more moderate terms and of course it would be able to because the, the, the hatred against it would be dissuaged um, See, look, as I say, um, I, I, I'm to say that I'm not a Zionist and that America shouldn't be underwriting Israel does not mean that I'm pro-Hamas or pro-Toist either. It's just the case that this is an, an, an um, a, perhaps an irresolvable trouble spot, um, and it just has the potential, like Ukraine, probably more than than Ukraine, of dragging the world into a third world war in the same way that the first world did uh, because the alliances um and 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 the, and, the uh, and what have you will 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 trigger sides coming in to support their their allies and it can escalate i don't know what the situation is um and i don't but i i don't know where the you know, and I, I don't believe there's any such thing as the Palestinian people. They're basically just displaced Jordan, Jordanians yeah. with some Egyptians. Let's, let's say the truth. But um, I don't know where they're supposed to go, right? Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we could pay off enough money. The world could pay off enough money to Egypt or, or, or Jordan to take them. And maybe Rwanda. <laughs> well, look, no, no, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I am a hundred percent that anyone who's entered the UK illegally, I would ship them off to Rwanda by within twenty-four hours and have yep. zero yep. sentimental sympathy for them. I'd pay the airfare myself. The the, the 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 inverted commas, the Palestinians, right? It's not their fault that they were born there in, into basically an open-air prison camp. Yep. It's not their fault. They have no future, no possibility there. Um, the only narrative on their condition of life is coming down from the imams, obviously, so you can guess where that's going to go. They're not exactly preaching Quakerish love and peace to all, to, all, to the brotherhood of, of mankind there. Um, I don't know what the situation is, but I don't know where these people are supposed to go. Um, 
What I do know is, is that Azerbaijan ethnically cleansed 100,000 ethnic Armenians from Nagorno-Karabakh <clears throat> less than a month before the, the, the October the, the 7th, right? And the world did absolutely nothing. No Secretary General, no no White House, no no Biden. The, the world just stood with its arms folded and watched that ethnic cleansing, right? Um, now, uh, I'm not suggest, and that's ethnic cleansing, right? Ethnic cleansing isn't or isn't literally always just just killing people. It is moving a whole population, a whole people out of a territory, um, and it can even just be destroying the culture or or the language. Um, that seems to be what's going on. What Israel is doing um, in the Gaza Strip right now. It, Israel might not have any choice. That might be the only thing it can do. Um, perhaps I, I don't know. Perhaps we just need to give a lot of money to to, to those to, to, to Jordan or Egypt. I think there are two point two million Gazans there. Um, give money to the countries. Give money to the uh, to, to the to the Palestinians, um, and just and just let Israel just just take this take take that strip of land um look states can exercise look if you believe a state can 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 knock down your house to put a railway line through it the oldest author it citing eminent domain i think eminent dom domain might be might be the american version i forget what what it is in the the term in in the uk right no one denies that, that, that i am I, as a libertarian i'm opposed to that but that is the reality the state can do that um perhaps it just needs to do something on, on the same basis on a much larger scale here and and israel just needs to seize that land and pay off every um uh, every Pal palestinian and and the the future host country um but you know i i do have some sympathy for the for those palestinians um i have to say not, yeah, not 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 for the not for Hamas, not for the terrorists, not for the the, the despicable, disgusting, outrageous thing they did on September the October. Just for the for, for the ordinary um, for the ordinary Hamas for the ordinary Palestinian citizens, I, I have some sympathy for their for their for their situation. I agree, as do I. I, mean, I would call myself a Christian Zionist, but I also think for the US, the US needs to put America first. And you can't be sending money abroad whenever you haven't even got a border uh, on your side. So fix that. Um, and the rush to send money abroad, whether it's Ukraine or Israel, uh, does concern me. But you're right, I think the only way is to remove Hamas or you remove those people and put them anywhere else because they don't necessarily have a right if you look historically um, and I agree Ben 100% there is no such thing as Palestinian people so just arrange for them to go elsewhere maybe just turn that into a garden or a, or like a, a, a zoo or some just a, a, an area give it back to wildlife or something but um, I think having Hamas control it is not good for anyone whether it's Israel or the Middle East at large yeah basically yeah. look the, the, you can apply the do unto others as you'd have done unto you here. Uh, whatever whatever deal is made to, to the Palestinians, it, it needs to be a deal that you would want to accept if you were in that yeah. if, if you were in that situation, right? Um, I don't I don't see what the I you know beyond that beyond doing what Azerbaijan did in Nagorno Karabakh um, during that to the, to the Gaza Strip, I, I don't see 
what the long-term resolution will be. I, I think Israel just needs to get its head down and do it. I don't think America should be part of that, though. Um, yeah. I agree. I agree. And, the rush and, to and, war. And if it is, and if it is a part of that, if it does underwrite Israel, um, uh, Israel's security uh, when when it pacifies to use that horrible term, the Gaza Strip. That should be it. America should should then withdraw, um, push, encourage Israel back on to normalise its, its diplomatic relations with its surrounding countries, which it was about to do before yeah. October the, the, the 7th. Um, and then, um, because I, I, I don't particularly think this two-state solution is viable as a, as, a, as a long-term strategy for Israel. It just needs to do what it needs to do. But America needs to stay out of it. No, I, I agree. Well, on that, we will draw conversation to a close. And people, obviously, at Horn will uh, follow you on Getter is the best place. Ben, I uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us. Peter, thank you. God bless. Until the next time. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.